Y'all better put him in the Heisman. Got that wood right here, baby. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager. They're going to run and get that boot. The Arkansas Razorbacks have completed the dream season. A baseball team that's on the way back. A college world series title. Stadium. I almost got fired because I went Willie the boss after I had a little too much sauce. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. But now it's finally here where we're going to be able to actually have some content, have some comments, have some reactions to some of the things that are going around in SEC football. Yeah, and it's going to be um, you know an interesting week to see what the headline becomes because there's always seemingly a story where you've got A bunch of coaches going down there, 14 coaches going down there, trying not to be the story. Uh, Their school trying to be out of the headlines. You you think, well, you're going there to make headlines, right? Well, a lot of these coaches don't want to be the headline. They're they're headed to Hoover to try to not make waves rather than make waves. So it'll be interesting. There's always seemingly, whether it's like Steve Spurrier of the year on the the vote of all-SEC quarterback, whether it's – you know, a coach being in, in trouble with the NCAA and that becoming the forefront, whether it's a coach like Nick Saban making comments, calling what it was, an agency called him pimps one year. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, always something, either a comment gets blown up out of proportion in often case, or a coach comes down with an Rarely does a coach come with an agenda. Generally, the agenda is not to be the agenda. So. Yeah, I know. And, you know, I feel like since you lost people like Steve Spurrier from this conference and Les Miles, some of the more big personalities, that was actually something uh, when I was talking to some other media members here at SEC Media Days last night, is just it seems like a lot of at least the fun of it all from from the coaches and the content that they would give has kind of gone by the wayside because you don't necessarily have those personalities of guys that just come in and have some fun with it, throw some jazz, throw out some funny comments, get those sound bites that can be put out on social media you don't necessarily have that at least that not as right now I'm looking around at the coaches for instance who's going today I mean Barry Odom to me is a very straight laced guy Dan Mullen he's he's more goofy with his attire and his shoes that he always wears more so than he is with his comments and then Ed Orgeron and people just like him because of the way he talks not necessarily uh, yeah. the things that he says so uh, but I think that not only are you going to have that from those three teams but honestly Tommy I think I am more interested and probably more so than anybody besides, of course, Chad Morris in Arkansas, of Greg Sankey, who's going to kick things off today because of not only the proposed changes that are going on in college football, but also some of the other things that might be going on here in the SEC in the coming years. You're talking about the alcohol sales, which I know is going to be a hot-button issue. Uh, You're talking about the transfer portal that seems like everyone wants to know everyone's opinion on it. I mean, there's a lot of storylines, maybe not necessarily for the coaches, but more so for the commissioner of Greg Sankey today that he's going to have to answer. I'll I'll be interested to see... Uh, how he addresses, or maybe even if, maybe if's a better word, the, the topic of sports wagering. I mean, it's become legal in, in Arkansas. You can now place a legal sports wager at Oaklawn Park. Mississippi's had it. it it's, it's only a matter of time till the majority of the states in the Southeastern Conference have some place to legally place a wager on the games that are, that are uh, competed in, in the SEC, that they compete for on the football fields on Saturday. There, there are certain concerns that go along with that. What, what, are the, what are the league's chief concerns? I'm, I'm interested to hear what the leader of this conference has to say about legalized sports wagering in our country and how it affects this league. 
Yeah, because that's something that, you know, in a lot of the rule changes that happen, it's not necessarily something that, you know, you at least had an example of it somewhere else. Maybe the NFL has tried it. Maybe like an arena football league has tried it. Or maybe it's one of those rules that you look at and you're like, well, you can tell really legitimately what type of impact it's going to have, or at least this way. But, you know, sports wagering is something that nobody knows about because we've never had it. We've never had to be able to see the type of impact that it would have. And so, and this doesn't just impact, you know, SEC football. Football impacts everybody, and honestly, Tommy, if it goes the way that we all think it will, as far as the development of it all, it, it may impact it greatly to where even going to games and going there and seeing them in person. We talked about having at some point in time having like gambling kiosks and stuff. I'm not saying that'll happen at Arkansas here in the next few years, but who knows? I mean, you could be really seeing a legitimate way not only in college football, but how you watch the games and how you care about the games nationally. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of changes on the horizon. I mean, there's always going to be the conversation until it happens about nine league games, and there's always going to be conversations about other, you know, recruiting regulations and, and, and things of that nature. But I think this is one that's right here in the in the foreground that's here. And uh, as you said, and, and, and correctly so, this isn't something where the ACC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12 have been doing this, and we can sit back and study the things that have went right and the things that went wrong. This is something that really all of college sports is kind of dealing with for the first time. Yeah, and, and that's what's going to make other it Other than so, in the state of Nevada, I guess. Right, and, right. And, and New Jersey, I guess. Yeah, and that's what's going to make it so fascinating. But also, you know, if people like Greg Sankey, the commissioner, I'm sure that he's going to have to be very cautious of it because it's not something you just want to dive right into and go all in. It may be something that you have to have some studies, some research, and maybe some trial runs to really see how it's going. But that's going to be, be a big topic. Obviously, the, the alcohol in stadiums, I think, is going to be a fascinating topic, too, because there has been some SEC places that have come out and said, no, they will not be selling alcohol this year. South Carolina was one of the more recent ones to do it. Uh, you had, And then you had some schools that came out, like Texas A&M, was like, yep, we're doing it. Let's go all in right here, right yeah. now. Let's make it happen. Arkansas is still one of those teams that hasn't come out for a for sure answer, but I'm sure that that's going to be a hot topic for Greg Sankey, too, is addressing you know the reasonings behind lifting the ban and the pros and cons to it all as well. Interesting you bring it up. I was watching uh, the local news last night uh, in northwest Arkansas, and, and Channel 5 had a story about having alcohol sales at Razorback Stadium this year and whether or not it would happen at the beginning of the year. And they were talking with Paul Gatling, who is the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Business Times, or probably getting the name of the publication not exactly right. But hmm. his opinion, after talking with people, is Arkansas will likely sell beer and wine in the general admission areas or the in the general grandstands this year, but it won't be at the beginning of the season. Is the way I understood the report. Now that's a, that's an opinion, not a not a report or a fact. Correct. But but it's interesting that the university has not come out and said, "Here's what we're going to do. Here are our plans." When we're you know inside fifty days now for the to college football beginning here in our in our state. So is that why you feel like they're they're really waiting on it for for that reason? Well, I think they want to have their ducks in a row. I think Hunter Yurchek's a very measured individual as as you want in your AD. I think mm-hmm. they want to have everything lined up. Um, this is a process that's fraught with a, with a lot of lot of regulations and a lot of lot of um, consequences if you don't follow all of those and dot a lot of your eyes and cross all your T's. It's not just about carding people. It's it, there's so much more that goes along with it. Making sure you've got the right aged vendors. You know that right. because a lot of times we've talked about these concession stands at the University of Arkansas are manned by. Sometimes parents of, but but oftentimes youth aged individuals who are there for as a fundraiser. 
So it's it's trying to figure out how and when, and you know we've never believed that they're going to sell it in every concession stand. There's going to be designated areas, and uh, I think the, I think it'll start small and grow from there. And we'll, we'll I think they want to measure demand and see what it's what it's about. But I think really about uh, you know listening to their report last night, about ten percent don't care either way. About mm-hmm. you know, and the rest is split that don't want it and do want it. And I think that's one concern for the university is they're still about. 40-some-odd percent of the population, according to some of the studies they've done, that are not in favor of, of beer and wine sales at the University of Arkansas in the, in the football stadium and in, in their sports venues. That's still something the university has to consider. Yeah, and it's, and it's crazy, too. I, maybe this isn't the best analogy because uh, I don't really know a whole lot about it, but it seems like it's almost like it's at least great having the option where, you know, instead of the federal government and the state government, the federal government says, all right, the states, you decide yep. if, whether you want this or not. It's kind of the same thing where the SEC has said, you know what? You guys decide. You as an individual school, you decide. Yep. We're at you. least giving you the option. Here are the guidelines, though. If you choose the option, here are some things, you know, you're not going to have – beer vendors up and down the aisles hawking beer you know there, right. there are some there are some regular we're going to quit selling at the end of the third quarter so they have given some guidelines and regulations as a league if you choose to sell here are the guidelines you will operate within at a minimum mm-hmm. and i think a lot of teams too tommy are just the ones that maybe have said no or the ones that are going to wait it out they're wanting to see exactly all these other teams in the sec that do go ahead and do it all right what did what did what did it look like there what what was the what was the profit margin how what were the problems they probably uh-huh. just want to wait and see until it's actually uh-huh. instilled until before they uh, jump right into it yeah. another topic you know here before we hit the break is and i don't know how big a deal this is or if it's something that will even be addressed by the commissioner though but it's the ncaa jumping into the licensing game in omahogs as yes we, i don't know how much y'all got i wasn't here friday i don't know how much y'all got into this on friday morning but the ncaa trying to lay claim to certain trademarks and licensing of phrases like omahogs mississippi state used oma dogs because it's part of their championship event and essentially, they're saying if you're playing in our championship event, we own the marks to this, and we're going to add an, an additional royalty to these sales. And essentially, the, or the NCAA, which is nothing more than a, a representative body of all of the schools, is trying to jump in and lay more claim to the trademarks of each individual school. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see how the league's push back or don't push back on this because it certainly could uh, could end up getting into the pocketbooks of these universities that don't make millions, tens of millions of dollars on merchandise sales. But I find it interesting that the NCAA is trying to take maybe a little more piece of control here. And it'll be interesting to see if these schools want to fight back on that. Tommy, I am shocked that you are accusing the NCAA of trying to take a little more from for something like that. Well, I am just shocked. I mean, we, we, we want to blame the evil NCAA, but we got to remember, who is the NCAA? Made up of... It's made up of member institutions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's made up of of these schools. And, and really what they're talking about is... Yeah, I hate to, to throw in a term we use in pol- politics. Like they're talking about redistributing the wealth here. Because who's going to these events, these college football playoff events, the the Final Fours and the in March Madness, and now the College World Series, which has gotten more popular. No one cared about the College World Series and what trademarks might be getting stepped on a little bit when it wasn't making a lot of money. Mm. But now that it's starting to make a little bit of money, everybody cares. But all it is is a way to, quote-unquote, redistribute the wealth within college athletics. 
Yeah. If we can gather up all the money, because essentially the NCAA gathers up all this money on rights, and they keep a little piece for the home office, but the vast majority gets cut up and sent back out to schools. Yeah. No, that's a great now, point, too. Each school doesn't get an equal. You know, I don't know exactly how it's all done. You know, you know larger schools, and it, it helps the smaller schools more proportionately than it does the bigger schools. But nonetheless, that's really kind of what's going on here on a on some scale. Yeah, no, that's a great point by you, too. And the thing is, is that we're going to have the whole show to discuss these things. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager. Now he does a tightrope act. Boy, Houdini's in the house. We're at number three, and nobody's home to watch that house. Touchdown, Hogs! Now, Tommy, obviously, we're going to be hearing from Matt Moscone of ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge here in about 25 minutes to talk a lot more about the LSU Tigers. But I kind of want to do, just from our perspective real quick, of LSU in this upcoming football season, because obviously it's a game that we, we know about the history of is it a rival, is it not a rival, the golden boot, all, all of that fun stuff. And it, it's a game that Arkansas, in a lot of cases, at least when Les Miles was there, won a lot of those games when a lot of people felt like they had no business winning those games. Maybe it meant a lot more to Arkansas, whatever it was. But there, there's a lot of history between these two opponents, and Arkansas even played them relatively close last season. It was a 24-17 to final. LSU got the victory in Fayetteville. I believe it was 24-3 at some point. But either way, uh, that was one of Arkansas's closer SEC games and SEC matchups. But as far as just what you feel like in this upcoming season for LSU, lots of expectations. They went 10-3 and last year. They had, they had a lot of success. They feel like this year, with the, they're in returning, actually, according to Phil Still, the most most experience of any other team in the SEC. So I feel like this is going to be a huge year for Ed Orgeron and LSU to where I'm not saying that they'll, he's on the hot seat or anything, but if they have another 9-3 and three showing, I don't think that's going to make the masses of LSU fans very happy given the talent level, the schedule, and all that. Yeah, I mean, at some point, it's also how, how are you going to do in comparison to A&M and Mississippi State at this point? Mississippi State, I'm not sure, is going to be able to sustain the success they had in the last few years of Dan Mullen. We're going to see what Joe Moorhead can do moving forward. But it's also what A&M's doing. I think that greatly affects the mindset of the LSU fan right now because we've talked about how do you compare with those with everybody else in the West. Everybody's willing to yield to the fact that Alabama's the best. But LSU expects to beat everybody else. So I think it's also about, you know, like you said, nine and three, probably not going to cut it. So are you, are you going to be able to deal with the A&Ms and the Mississippi States of the Western Division? Are you going to be able to finish second the West? Are you going to be able to take care of Florida this year? Uh, you know, Auburn. Those are huge games this year for, for LSU. Which I don't think their fans have – I think that maybe they've lowered the expectations from college football playoff and national championships on, a, on an annual basis to – they ought to be better than everybody but Bama in this division. Yeah, because I feel like with LSU and the expectations that were there, Les Miles, if you just looked at his overall record, even towards the end of his tenure there, it was always really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least in, in the in the perspective of in the SEC West having to go up against some of the great teams, they were always a 9, 10, 11 win team every single year under Les Miles. And I know that sometimes you, know, you feel like there's been some people held back and why you can't make that next step. So they went with that Orgeron. And I think that since he's been there, he was the interim coach. He had six 
wins that interim year, went six and two, I think. And then uh, the next year, he only went nine games, won nine and four. And then last year, he goes 10 and three. It feels like if he doesn't take that next step here, a lot of people are going to start doubting him because I still, and it's weird because I feel like going nine and four and then 10 and three in your first two full years as head coach at LSU is going in the right direction is really good, especially with the changes that he's made, getting Joe Brady in as his passing game coordinator with uh, Joe Burrow going to be at the quarterback position. It feels like it's all coming together. But for some reason, I'm still not sold on Ed Orgeron. It's almost like I still have to see more from him. But he's won 19 games the past two seasons. So it's just like, I don't I don't know. I have a weird feeling towards Ed Orgeron where it's like, I like him. I think he's a good coach. But is he really going to be better than what Les Miles was able to give this program year in and year out? Well, I think when, you're, when your results are your results like Saban's, no one questions whether you're elite or your leadership or any of that stuff, right? So when you're kind of in that marginal area between good and great or between great and elite or whatever you're trying to separate someone into, then it comes down to how you c- communicate. How do you market your programs? How, do, you know, how are you able to put fires out with your own words? Eh, not necessarily uh, Eddie O's strongest suit is being able to communicate. Now, he's, he's interesting to listen to, and of all the coaches this week we'll hear from, probably the one that's the most interesting and the most entertaining. But when it comes to the heat of the battles throughout the season, I'm not sure Ed Orgeron really communicates. He probably does with his fan base, but I think he talks Cajun. I think those fans down there in South Louisiana, particularly right now, they understand what he's saying. Sometimes we really don't understand what he's saying. But I I think it's hard for the rest of of the conference to really understand what he's trying to get at sometimes. And it's yeah, not just because he talks funny. Right. And it's not just because you can't understand that thick accent. I'm not talking about the way he talks. I'm just saying sometimes he doesn't put the words together in a way that, that gives you confidence. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about communicating. Is the leader of the program able to put the words together to give you the confidence that everything's okay right now? Mm. He doesn't always do that. Yeah, and, and there was a reason why in his previous stops when I know he was an interim there at USC and a lot of people felt like he was going to get the job, ended up not getting it. Uh, obviously, when he was at Ole Miss in his first head coaching gig way back when, he was a great recruiter, could not coach them to the victories, right. though. I, I mean, he was that, that was the one thing he was known for. But, but don't you – how do you feel about what I'm trying to say here is the way the, the leader of the program communicates to the fan base – the way you talk to the fan base is what instills the confidence that everything's going to be okay. Uh, it, it's what puts donors at ease. It's what puts ticket se- season ticket holders at ease when things aren't going well. And I don't know that he does a good job in that department. Well, I guess that we haven't, at least I haven't seen enough from him to be able to know how he handles when his feeder is into the fire. I know that they went through uh, that little, I guess it was two years ago when they lost to Troy, and there was a lot of people upset by that. It's like, oh, what in the world are you doing? What are you trying to prove here? Uh, I, I guess I haven't seen when he's getting asked those tough questions where it feels like his job is starting to get on the line and his feet are getting out to the fire. I haven't seen enough of how he answers those questions yeah. now because I can't even take into consideration really what he did at Ole Miss because that was so long ago and he was first-year coach. And to be able to win at Ole Miss is a tough thing unless you're Hugh Freeze and you're just cheating your hiney off. I mean, that's really the best way to do it. But uh, but but what he's doing this year, though, it, it seems like – and again, this is when, it goes, when you're talking about the communication to fans – 
to me, it, he's doing it maybe more through action than he is actually through his words because he has Joe. Because what's been the biggest thing about LSU, Tommy, over the past 10, 15, 20 years, it seems like? Quarterback. They, quarterback. Quarterback. They've been elite at every position, even the freaking punter they've been elite at. But for some reason, they have never been able to get a consistent big-time playmaking quarterback. It's been the issue the whole time. But this last year in this upcoming season, they've had Joe Burrow, who was the transfer that came in. Last year, he threw for 2,900 yards, 16 touchdowns. He ran for seven touchdowns, had about 400 yards there. And he hired Joe Brady as their uh, passing game coordinator, who used to be with the New Orleans Saints, who was really good there. And they're hoping that he can change up the passing game and really elevate that. So, again, if I'm an LSU fan and I understand the quarterback position and how tough it's been and how it's really been the key to why your program has not won more national championships. It's like I see that Ed Orgeron brought in a big time quarterback that seems to be really good and that can play in the SEC in Joe Burrow. I see the fact that he was not satisfied with the passing game last year and the year before last. So let's bring in somebody who has NFL experience, who is able to be part of a coaching staff down there in New Orleans where Drew Brees and that offensive powerhouse that they have has have some experience there. And I believe in their spring game, Tommy, they did not take one single snap under center in their spring game. Are we talking about the same LSU? Because I feel like for years I was always about LSU. So they're changing things up. And again, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough for all the fans to buy in on it. But when you talk about communicating with the fan base and letting mm-hmm. everyone know it's going to be all right, to me, that speaks a lot louder than just saying it because it's like, yeah. hey, at least he's trying. At least he's trying to do something with the passing game that's been the bane of our existence the past few years. I'll be interested. Matt Moscona going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour. I'll be interested to hear from Matt about what really are the expectations. He's got the, the you know, the, the finger on the pulse of the fan base there. Are we right on their expectations, or are we just outside looking in getting this wrong? I'll be interested because he'll know, and we'll ask him about it. And, of course, his hometowns right now, all, the last thing they're really probably worried about or should be worried about is football right now with the flooding and yeah. tropical storm Barry and everything that's really just pounded Louisiana. Now, I know you guys drove through it all day yesterday to get to media days. Oh, yeah. um, Eastern Arkansas getting hammered with that right now. So I'm sure that's on uh, his and his listeners' minds as uh, as we crank up SEC media days. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things going on with the uh, LSU faithful, definitely, with all that flooding. But, yeah, I'll be looking forward to catch up with him and Matt Moscona about all that and about everything going on there. And, of course, uh, Ed Orgeron coming up today. Lots of expectations for the LSU Tigers and what they think is needs to be happening with their program. We'll talk about that in here in about 15 minutes with Matt Moscona. We'll, of course, continue to get Get to your phone calls and your text messages, 877-377-6963 is the number to call in. We are the Morning Rush broadcasting live from SEC Media Days here in Hoover, Alabama, right here on Radio Row. Things are slowly and surely starting to come around, and it's all thanks to Randall Ford, 5500 Rogers Avenue, the fourth oldest Ford dealership in America. And, of course, Bud Light, thank you for making this happen where we could come down to SEC Media Days and give you all of the great content here. You're listening to the Bud Light Boy. Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager. Give is to Alex Collins, straight up the middle, and Collins on the run. They won't catch him. Alex Collins is going to take it all the way to the house. Matt Moscona of ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Matt, here we are once again, SEC Media Days, this time back in Hoover, Alabama, man. Right. Uh, I, I liked... I like the concept of Atlanta, 
I liked uh, being at the College Football Hall of Fame. I did not like everything so spread out. Yeah. Uh, this is this is it feels more uh, it feels more more like home, I guess. But rumor around here is maybe next year Nashville, Dallas, maybe yeah. down the line. So I, I like the fact that they might bring it out. But it's good to be back here. Too. Oh yeah, it's it's always like you said. It feels like home when you've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And uh, obviously today with LSU going, this has been something that we discussed about half an hour ago here on the show about the expectations with LSU heading into this season. It seems like they have the most experience coming back in the SEC. They made some changes with the offense, obviously, with Brady coming in as the passing game coordinator, Joe Burrow, a senior quarterback. It seems like, of course, LSU, the expectations are always high, but this year, after going 10-3 and last year, seems like the expectations may not be ever higher. Well, I don't know that I'd say they've never been higher, um, but it's certainly light years from where they were a year ago. I mean, as a refresher, last year when we were talking – I mean, Vegas had LSU's over under pegged at seven and a half. You know, the ESPN right. FPI gave LSU better than 50% chance of winning just five games last year. So there wasn't a lot of expectation on LSU a year ago. They lost their starting quarterback, their top two running backs, their top two receivers, basically everybody on defense. It, it last, and then you looked at the schedule where they had Miami, they had to go to Alabama, they had, uh, you know, they had to go to A&M, to Florida, to Auburn, and you went, Shh. <laughs> how do they how do they get through this right yeah and they surprised everybody you know and they they go nine and three and had a couple of really nice wins mixed in there and so people are excited the difference though John is in Ogeron's first year they were also nine and three you know the difference is they lost the bowl game in, in year one mm-hmm. so expectations are a funny thing so when you go nine and three and there's no expectations people are really excited now you're I mean I think most people agree that LSU is going to be a preseason top ten if not t- ten right there right. 10, 11, 12 right, right. In there uh. I mean, now it's, okay, man, let's go. Can, like, can you go compete with Alabama? The schedule's favorable. You, Georgia rotates off. Vanderbilt rotates on. I mean, you get Auburn and Florida and A&M all at home. Like, if you're going to make your move, this is the year to do it. Well, and, and speaking on the offense, I know we've had these discussions, it seems like, for years now about with LSU, the key is always the quarterback, which you can say about every team, but especially LSU because there's been so many years where you just felt like, man, if they got great quarterback play, that's what would have sent them over the edge. Now you have a senior quarterback in Joe Burrow. You've made Ed Orgeron has made some changes there to make the passing game coordinator and bringing in Brady. Just what kind of impact do you expect out of Joe Burrow this year and the changes in the passing game as far as the coaching philosophy yeah. goes? What's kind of the expectation? What do you look at there yeah I think if you look at Joe Burrow a season ago if you look at statistically what he did in the first two months of the season and then in the last month of the season if you haven't actually just looked at his game by game stats it you'll go oh like it it's incredible how much he sort of hit that that curve in November and maybe that's comfort maybe that's trust at this time last year Joe Burrow had just gotten to campus I mean he just showed up at LSU in June of a year ago so he by his own admission that first month he was still figuring things out I I think his comfort level and their comfort level with him is a big thing I think the the coaches trust Joe Burrow and when they go through some of these practice you know these player-led practices or even through spring one of the things the coaches will tell you that kind of pops is they just they trust he's making the right read every time and that just comes with experience at this level so i you know i think they'll put more on his shoulders another thing john i think we're going to see more of man is him running the football you know a, a little known story i mean a year ago remember lsu had like three quarterbacks transfer so right. you you had joe burrow coming in and you had miles brendan that was it <laughs> um and they didn't sign a quarterback last year either so 
man, they were so thin, and then Brennan had an injury that nobody knew about. So really, their number two quarterback for part of the season last year was a walk-on named Andre Sale. So they didn't want to run Joe Burrow because they didn't want to risk injuring him and have to play a, a walk-on quarterback. So with Brennan healthy and Burrow healthy, I, I think they're going to run Joe Burrow a lot this year, and I think he's got some deceptive ability. We saw that a little bit in the Texas A&M game, that seven-overtime game last year. But I think you're going to see Joe Burrow use his feet more this year than most people might think. So we have Matt Moscone, a host of After Further Review from ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge right now on the morning rush. So, Matt, just looking at the schedule for LSU, you brought it up a little bit. Obviously, that non-conference game against Texas is a big one uh, to really get things kicked off and then playing in the SEC West. Just in general of the West, uh, we know Alabama. We, we all know about them. Uh, A&M looks like they're trying to take that next step. Auburn, who really knows what that situation is going to look like? As far as where LSU and their place in the West, mm-hmm. kind of how do you see the division playing out as far as some of the teams there that are that are looking to be good, but also ones that may take step yeah. back? Well, we're all going to vote on that this week, right? That's and we're right. All, and we're all going to be dreadfully wrong because we always are. <laughs> always. Uh, except it seems like if you go chalk and just put Alabama at the top, you're going to be fine in the West. Um, the interesting thing is I think A&M this year might be better than they were a year ago, but when you look at their schedule – John, they got to play Clemson. They got to play Georgia. They got to play Bama. They got to play LSU. Three of those four on the road. That's that's heinous. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you mix in Auburn as well. I, I I mean, that may be one of those teams that is better, but their record doesn't indicate it this year because of that schedule. And then the same thing with Auburn. I have no idea what's going to happen with Auburn at quarterback. Defensively, they return a bunch, especially on the defensive line. But Auburn's schedule is awful as well. I believe they got five of the top twelve teams in the country on their schedule. So these are teams that may be good, but how do you navigate the schedule? So I think that's a really great opportunity for other teams, maybe maybe one of the Mississippi schools. Um, if I mean, it's, it's laughable almost to, to think like Matt Luke with a freshman quarterback, who, by the way, kudos to Matt Luke for bringing a freshman quarterback here. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, uh, I mean, maybe Joe Moorhead in year two with, with his quarterback, the kid transferring in from Penn State. Maybe it's their time to make a move. You know, is Arkansas, is it year two with Chad Morris, got his guy transferring in from SMU. It's like... Can one of those teams do it? I guess, John, the point is, for LSU, you're, this is the most stable you've been and the least stability around the rest of the division outside of Alabama. Like, if this isn't the year you make your move with Ed Ogeron, you kind of go, I mean, when does that cycle pop back in your favor? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you actually about Arkansas because I always get curious about the perspective that we have uh, from just people outside the state of Arkansas. Yeah. Obviously, going 2-10 and 10 last year is not ideal uh, for any program, uh, especially one like Arkansas that's never experienced a season like that before. And it, people are still – there's still some people that are hopeful about Chad Morris, but there's still some people that aren't exactly feeling it, especially after a 2-10 and 10 year. But you mentioned he brought in some quarterbacks. He got Nick Starkle, too, yeah. the Texas A&M transfer. Just from your perspective, what do you make of Arkansas this upcoming season, the changes that they made? I mean, what, what kind of situation do you feel like they're in right now? So – I know when we talked last year as well, we t- I know we've talked about uh, – I my feeling is Chad Morris is the exact right kind of hire for Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Arkansas, just because of the, the lack of talent in the state, the lack of blue-chip talent like in a, a Georgia or a Florida or even a Louisiana, you're not going to be able to attract that blue-chip talent to stay home or, or just the, the abundance of it to fill a roster. So you've got to recruit more nationally. Which is a difficult thing to do. So I think in some instances you have to win stylistically if you can't win with the Jimmys and the Joes. So I think it's one of the reasons Bobby Petrino had a great success. Mm-hmm. Hey, you bring in a Ryan Mallett, and you obviously had some, some. You had some guys. I mean, the receiver core then was yeah. awesome, but the the system worked. And I, so I think Chad Morris running that kind of offense can work in the SEC and have success. But I think you got to get your guys and. 
Look, going 0-8 in the SEC, I know Bielema did it as well, but going 0-8 in the SEC for me is hard to fathom at any level. Like, any coach that goes 0-8 in the SEC, it's like, brother, you got to find a way to win one. I mean, that, yeah. you know, that, got, that got Gene Chizik fired after winning a national championship at Auburn. But I also look at, at one hand that, the other hand saying, he, he's replacing Bielema, who was trying to be Alabama light, you know, mm-hmm. ground and pound, you know, power offense, and to, to have such a drastic stylistic change, you've got to give that guy time. To, and it's hard to be patient. I get it. But you've got to give that guy time, if you're going to commit to him, to do what he does. So let's see how it goes. It, it can't be any worse than 0-8 in the SEC. All right. So it, let's see what improvement happens and if you can build on that. I mean, I still think Chad Morris is the right kind of hire for Arkansas. I'll continue to say that. It, it may not work. He may bomb. But I think in making that hire, they made the right kind of hire that you need to make there in Fayetteville. Well, I know that you're a guy that has this experience with a guy like John Chavis, where he was at LSU for so long. And I know we've had discussions about it. But uh, in the recruiting cycle, and, you know, recruiting in the SEC is everything, especially uh, – and it seemed like, at least in the recruiting cycle, John Chavis and his defensive staff did a really good job of bringing in a lot of four-star players, defensive linemen, some uh, linebackers, and some defensive backs, something that Arkansas has seemed like they hadn't really had in quite some time. I mean, we've talked about it, though, but do you think John Chavis, though, can still spark something? Do you still think that he can do something to where he can make Arkansas not do a great defense, but just a serviceable defense? Nope. Simple as that? No. <laughs> I mean, look, I can elaborate, man, but John... It, one of the great things that benefited him at LSU, two things. He had awesome talent at LSU, and he also was complimented by an offense that played ball control. Mm-hmm. And that played perfectly into what he wanted to do. Um, you saw it at A&M when he went with Sumlin, and now instead of defending 60, 65 plays a game, you got to defend 85 plays a game. You saw a, a, a coordinator that, in my opinion, looked lost and looked like the game had passed him by. I know we talked about it last year. It was, for me, one of the most perplexing hires in bringing John Chavis to Arkansas. Clearly, the results last year weren't good. I don't think they're any better this year. Okay. If Arkansas—I'm not saying Arkansas is going to go 0-8. I think mm-hmm. I think they will be—I mean, 2-10, 0-8 is just— <laughs> I, I, I mean, rough. I, I, I can't—like, I really can't even imagine. I mean, LSU had a two-win season back in 93 under Curly Hallman, but I, that was 93. I mean, you're talking quarter century ago. Uh, so for I mean for for you guys and everything you went through with that last year I can't even imagine the patience you have to show with it but no I I I don't think John Chavis is long for Arkansas I don't think he can have success defensively there maybe he'll prove me wrong and I was a big supporter of his at LSU mm-hmm. but it's more about being stylistic and complementary to what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball and I mean after you saw what happened at A&M it's hard for me to even fathom why Arkansas made that hire but no I don't think that's good I okay. I don't think that's ever going to work. Well, again, when you go 2-10, and ten, you see the results. It's hard to argue against you know, that fact. And I know there's a lot of Rage fans kind of waiting and seeing on him, too, just like they are Chad Morris to see if they can take that next step. But it should be really interesting to see how it all plays out. Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review on ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. Always appreciate you coming on with us, man. I know we have a lot of fun with it. I know it's SEC Media is a lot of fun. So uh, do your radio rounds, man. And also get registered. I think you uh, just opened up over there. Yeah, today. I got to go get my old lanyard there so I can walk up and down without the people at the end of the row giving me grief about it. So, yeah, I'll go do that. But great to visit, John. Appreciate hey, you, Hey, always appreciate it, Matt. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Lemon Tea, a unique twist on America's favorite light lager.
We are joined by Laura Rutledge of ESPN and the SEC Network. Really appreciate you joining us, Laura. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And first off, congratulations Thank on your you. big news that you had earlier this year. <laughs> going to be welcoming in a new member of the family. So that's got to be exciting, Rutt. right? She's on the way. Oh, man. So that, that's going to be exciting. Right during football season and everything, Yeah, too. we timed that really well. I don't know what was going on there. But, no, just very feel very thankful and, and excited. Well, excellent. Well, appreciate you hopping on with us. Obviously, uh, we're live in ESPN Arkansas and cover the Razorbacks. And it, last year wasn't too fun to cover the Razorbacks. Not too fun. To well, be at least in football. There were some other sports right. that were right. Baseball. Fun. Baseball was great. Baseball made it worthwhile. But <laughs> I, you know, people. When we, I've been talking with people about Arkansas in this upcoming season. I'm trying to find some way to give some positivity, maybe some good news to Razorback fans that are listening to say, "Hey, this is why things may be a little better in 2019." Yeah. Well, I think Arkansas is going to be bull eligible this year. And and the main reason why is it's pretty easy early on to get off to a 4-0 start. I think that Kentucky game, it's on the road. It's going to be a big one. That, to me, is sort of maybe where we're talking about, okay, do they win that sixth game or not? I think they beat Ole Miss. And so then you're talking about, hey, there you go. You got six mm-hmm. wins. And, and to me, the, yes, the excitement that Chad Morris has generated is a huge part of why he was the right hire for the Razorbacks. But he's doing real things with this offense. They're ground game I think is underrated. Not enough people talking about that. And quarterback play is going to improve. So uh, where he really excels Chad Morris on the offensive side, I think Arkansas is going to be much better. And like I said, I mean, to me, right, Arkansas fans are happy if they're bowl eligible, right? At least yeah. at least happier yes. than what happened last year. Yes. And then you only build on that. So I, I'm actually really excited about Arkansas and they will be underappreciated this week. People will say, uh, you know, we'll see. They're not going to even be bowl eligible. Who knows? Right. There'll, there'll be a lot of that. What I would say to fans is, you know, even look at like Kentucky of last year, how everybody doubted them. I'm not saying they're getting to 10 wins, Arkansas, right. but I do think that it's going to be better than people expect. What do you think about the addition of Nick Starkle? Because Ben Hicks was a transfer from SMU too, but right. anytime you're able to add a quarterback with legit SEC experience to your team, especially when quarterback play was so questioned last year, I feel like that may be one of the biggest differences. Well, I like Nick Starkle a lot. And if you think back to kind of what the Texas a and M quarterback situation was Starkle was the guy that all of us thought was going to beat out Kellen Mond. Now Mond fits a little better with what Jimbo Fisher wants to do, and and to Mond's credit, he did take the bull by the horns there and really learn the offense and kind of take the extra step to get in there. That doesn't mean that Starkle didn't do anything. Right. You know, he, he was he's a very talented guy. His arm's great. He has some sneaky athleticism about him. There's a lot of things he can do. So I would say that people don't even like people forget about him when we're yeah. talking about kind of the quarterbacks of the SEC and a little bit rightfully so because of all these big names and a couple guys who really could be legit Heisman contenders but Starkle was a huge pickup and and when I saw that happen I thought okay now wait a second pump the brakes on thinking Arkansas is not going to be really good because he is a really talented guy he's also a big body in there too so you think about going up against some SEC defenses he has an advantage there well and I think that uh, nine quarterbacks coming to SEC media days is a record and I mean it's incredible because it seems like just not so long ago that everyone was trashing the conference because quarterback play was so poor. It's amazing how it's transitioned. All it takes is, you know, you just wait a couple years and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we got all these quarterbacks. And and really and truly, I think it's going to be exciting to watch sort of this crop, not only the group of guys that will go to the NFL after this season, but even the crop coming up behind them and who are, who are playing right now. Um, and even, you know, quarterbacks like South Carolina's Jake Bentley, for instance, who we've yeah. seen flashes from and you kind of think, hey, maybe he's got first round talent 
and hasn't really been consistent, this could be a breakout year for him and more people could be talking about him. So there are some that aren't as praised as the Fromms and the Tuas of the world that I do think could be really good. And, and honestly, I'm not just saying this. I would put Starkle in that category. I think he'll be in an offensive system with a coach uh, and Chad Morris and the rest of their staff that really know what they're doing offensively to develop a quarterback. Let me ask you about the two two of the teams that are going today with Florida and LSU. Both teams still with Dan Mullen and Ed Orgeron. They're still pretty early in their tenure at their respective schools, but a lot of expectations come along with it. Both teams did really well last year. Which of those teams, though, do you feel more confident about taking that next step in this upcoming football season? So it, this is a, a crazy one because I think when you look at Florida and what they did last year, it was a major uh outdoing of the expectations. Yeah. Nobody thought they were going to be as good as they were. And I think it's sort of uh, put expectations a little higher than maybe is necessary for this year. I don't think they beat Georgia. So then we're talking about, yeah, they could get to another 10-win season, but you're not going to be the SEC East representative most likely. Um, so to me, they're going to be better. They're going to improve offensively. They may not have as good of a record as they did last year. The other thing, too, about Florida is that you look at how people kind of looked at them last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they got enough respect. This year, that's not going to be an issue. People are going to be obviously ready to play Florida. LSU is fascinating to me. I mean, I think the hire of Joe Brady to uh, coordinate their passing game and to be part of the play calling. It sounds like Innsmeager's their offensive coordinator, is still going to do all the play calling, but just the, his experience with Drew Brees, his experience with an up-tempo offense. LSU could be scary now. Like You you look at what actually has given Alabama struggles defensively. It's been some of these up-tempo teams that really space you out uh, and make your defense have to work. So I could see LSU. If I'm going to pick between those two, I would say LSU might have the slightly more impressive season. I feel like Alabama is always going to be the team until they're not. So this upcoming year, is it is Georgia's got the best chance to knock them off? Is it going to be LSU or Florida, two of those teams we talked about? You know, LSU might. Uh, The problem with that is they have to go to Tuscaloosa. So yes. <laughs> that's a slight, slight issue there. Um, the thing about Alabama that's scary is that they are kind of going to be that revenge team this year. I mean, they the sour taste in their mouths from losing to Clemson the way that they did. It wasn't just like a little loss. It was a yeah. beat down. That's still very much with them. I, I was with them over the spring, and, and everything was kind of about that. And so I think they're really scary when they have that type of mental motivation uh, added on to the talent. Maybe Georgia, though, if I'm going to really pick a team, would be kind of the team that would knock them off. And that'd have to be in the SEC championship, which might mean that two SEC teams end up in the playoff again. <laughs> Very well could. So we just have a minute left. Just real quick, SEC Media Days, you've been doing this a lot. What's your favorite part about it? My favorite part is, I'm not just saying this, it's honestly Radio Row. Yes. Uh, this is where I started 11 years ago when I was in college at Florida. 2008 was my first year here. I was 19 years old, and I was like the intern charged with getting my uh, boss yep. all of the interviews, and it was the most terrifying thing <laughs> I've ever done in my life. So, um, it, no, it's just great to be back here and to catch up with everybody, and, and I love that part. But I think the camaraderie in this conference amongst the media and fans and everything just makes it a lot of fun. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the Halftime Pod at hitthatline.com.